Well, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch. And I'm DM Chris. And today we are joined by Luke Crane, the creator of the Mouse Guard RPG. And we're going to be talking about uh, specifically the ideas that come from Mouse Guard, uh, but just the idea of little or tiny heroes in a big, scary world. So we're looking forward to that. He was able to join us for most of the show. Uh, he had to leave a little bit early, but we've got a lot of good content for you in this episode. Chris, before we do that, though, we have some five-star reviews. Yeah, our first one comes from DM Chief Keef, and I realize that Chief Keef is also a rapper out there. So if this oh. is a if if, if this, this is, is you, that's pretty rapper? cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is he writes. This is a must-have for DMs. Five stars. This podcast will give new and old DMs a ton of material to help improve their own games. Having powered through what is up in three weeks, I can safely say that the DMB has a horde of knowledge just waiting to be tapped by DMs everywhere. I'm a third generation player slash DM and have shared this with my dad that grew up on 1E with his dad. We both love the guests that the hosts bring on and tons of ideas that can be plugged into your own campaigns at home. It's informative and story time is just awesome. Keep up the good work, guys. P.S. Have you guys contacted Chris Perkins? I think he would have fun as a guest speaker on world building or player management. So we think he would be a great guest on <laughs> the DMs block as well. So yeah. if you're on Twitter, go and go and send him a message or a tweet saying, hey, you should be on the DMs block. Exactly. That would be great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you, DM Chief Keefe. Thanks for telling your dad about us and just spreading the Dungeon Masters block love. We appreciate it. Our next review comes from Baron LaCroix and is entitled Keeps You Excited. Five stars. Great podcast. Keeps your head in the game. Thank you, Baron LaCroix. We very much appreciate it. And yes, we hope that it keeps your head in the game as well. <laughs> and your feet and your hands and everything else. Yes. Just your whole being. Just stay yes. in it. Just keep, <laughs> keep your whole self in the game. <laughs> but with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Carve it up! Just a mouthful! No! Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys! So for the meet today, we are joined by Luke Crane, the a game designer, creator of Burning Wheel, Torchbearer, and the Mouse Guard RPG. Uh, Luke, welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block. We're glad that you could join us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Luke, we have a few questions that we would like to ask you so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been publishing and designing RPGs for 14 years now, and during the day, I am the head of games at Kickstarter. So I have kind of a two different lives, but they're deeply intertwined. Can you tell us a little bit about the Mouse Guard role-playing game? Sure. I designed the Mouse Guard RPG back 2007, 2008 with David Peterson, the author of the comics. Mm -hmm. I based it off of my Burning Wheel system, but I really tried to, tried to strip the game down to what was absolutely essential and then build back up everything else that really supported David's vision in the comics as best I could. I feel like we we're mostly successful. There's a couple things that I might have gone back and changed or done differently, like looking back at it, I mean, eight years on, but I'm pretty happy with it. David's happy with it, and the fans seem happy with it, so it's a, it's a win. I'm sure that many game designers would say that about their games, that they would go back and change something, but if you can walk away and just be mostly happy with it, I'm sure that's a win. Yeah, yeah, we... It's tough. I kind of believe in leaving the games as kind of intact as possible. We tend to update things incrementally as we go. And like we just did a second edition of Mouse Guard and I could have made all sorts of sweeping changes, but I don't think it's necessary. The game works. The fans are comfortable with it. They're happy with it. I tried to tweak some things in the second edition that I felt you know, were kind of either just not being used or really weren't going in the direction that I felt the game should go, but they were just tiny little things. It was like tying off loose threads, right? 
Excellent. So could you tell us, is there anything that you're working on right now that you would like the fans to know about? Like the Mets fans or yes, <laughs> the, the Mets Bruins fans. fans or what? Like the, the fans of the Dungeon Masters block and of Mouse Guard. I see. Is there anything you're working on? Yes. <laughs> Dear fans, I am working so hard for you right now um, that everyone in my life wants to kill me. I am trying to finish the codex, the Burning Wheel Gold Codex. We launched a Kickstarter for this back in January 2016. I would like to turn this around very quickly so that the money that we collected for the Kickstarter goes where it should go. <laughs> We're trying to get back to our roots here and have books out for Gen Con. That is the way we used to do it back when we were doing two titles a year. Uh, we would have everything ready to go for August. So we're trying to do that. In fact, I am trying to do something even crazier than that. I am going to try to have the Kickstarter fulfilled before Gen Con, nice. which is an insane schedule. <laughs> it might kill me this time. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just warning you. I may arrive at Gen Con as a corpse. <laughs> that would probably not be a good thing for no. all of the fans out there. No. The Mets or the Bruins or fans <laughs> of it. Could you tell us a little bit about how you first got started in role-playing games? There were two precipitating incidents. I was visiting my cousins in Gaithersburg, Maryland, one year. So shout out to Gaithersburg. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> they probably don't get those very often. No, no, right? Hey. That's right, this one's for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have tons of fans in Gaithersburg, Maryland now. Yeah, right. <laughs> the fans in Gaithersburg, Maryland. My aunt and uncle's neighbors had, had had an NES, and which we played a lot of pro wrestling, and they also had RPGs. Like, we played uh, D&D, and we played Marvel Super Heroes. And then when I came back from to school from that summer away, I asked one of my friends about this and he said oh yeah his brother you know had played with him which is a pretty common story he and i played a one-on-one -on -one version of paranoia which he ran as a kind of a dark sci-fi story or at least that's how i took it not as the kind of comedy story I, I mean i just didn't get it when i was a kid so that that was how it started and you can kind of see the, the influence of all the kind of weirdo rpgs that i played uh as a kid i didn't <laughs> you know i played Top Secret or Star Wars by West End Games, Marvel Superheroes, Time Lords, a bunch of other stuff. But I, I didn't really play hardcore D&D until later and played a lot of weird stuff. So you can see the influence in some of my designs. So the last question that we have is a surprise question from our Patreon users. Uh, oh. They are Patreon Patreon fans, I guess you could call Patreon them. Patreon fans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this one comes from DM Kaido, and he writes, if you... If your friend was a paladin and always was talking about how amazing and wholesome they were, how would you defuse this situation? How would you knock them down a few pegs? I'm just trying to think, like, which of my paladin friends have I knocked? Like, for, uh, <laughs> which, first of all, think of a real situation. <laughs> yeah, well, I do have real life examples here. But now, first of all, man, D DM Kaido, like, why, why you got to hate on the paladin? Like, what, right. <laughs> what's your damage? Like, why can't you just accept the paladin for who? He hasn't listened to our paladin episode and how awesome they right. are. <laughs> like, accept them for who or, you know, who they are. Paladins are jerks. We play basic D&D at the Kickstarter office, and we recently had, a, like, a major butting of heads. There's no paladins in basic D&D, but essentially the lawful cleric kind of fills in in that role. And, yeah, lawful cleric versus chaos fighter and like the great thing about those rules is that like D&D sets you up like these are diametrically opposed things and you know like philosophically like different views of civilization and life and then you're like okay well that's the end of the rule book what what do i do like where where do i go from here and the rule book's like well I, I don't know maybe you brought a knife you could like stab each other like in real life <laughs> uh and so it's just it's crazy the rules are completely silent on how to resolve this incredibly intractable <laughs> problem they're like roll play it out and so uh i mean what happened was there's just like this this massive butting of heads and essentially a, a an implosion in the group like i managed to like kind of keep the like the kettle covered for uh for a while and try to channel it back in but eventually the group just kind of collapsed around the weight of this because there's no the game doesn't give you any resolution for this and it really encourages you to be like, no, we're not doing it because I am this alignment or no, we are doing it because I am this alignment. And like, th this is great. This is every fantasy novel I've ever read is exactly this, right? This is like, the, this is totally the Lord of the Rings recreated right before my eyes. Um, <laughs> 
So, you know, like, sometimes you just gotta, like, put the alignments to bed and walk away and, you know, go go get a root beer with the Paladin or something. <laughs> go get a root beer with the Paladin. That's sometimes awesome. alignments just kind of get in the way in a unhealthy way. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love them in theory, but the whole reason why yeah. we... Well, not the whole reason, but one of the reasons why, you know, our, our games have the belief system that they do is because of that stuff. Just like, okay, what you believe is really important to you. Great. Okay, write it down. Okay, now you're going to get rewarded for playing it. Great. And now the key to that is you're going to be able to challenge it and you're going to be able to change it. Mm -hmm. So, Luke, we asked you here today. uh, You've been a game designer for a while now. You've been making lots of games. Uh, Specifically, we asked you here because of your work with Mouse Guard. And we wanted to talk about the idea of small heroes in a big world. We wanted to hear what your thoughts are on playing a role playing game and having tiny or small characters. So, Let's start off talking about that and just talking about the small hero. Why would why would somebody want to play a small hero? I know that a lot of people want to go for the big brooding characters. Even with magic users, it's almost always about like how powerful, how big are you in this world? Well, here, uh, I'm going to blow the fans' minds. <laughs> Mouse Guard is scarier than Call of Cthulhu. Hmm. And Call of Cthulhu is actually one of my inspirations for really getting into the perspective um, of the mice because to me like human to Cthulhu is like mouse to moose Mm. but for me the mouse to moose is way more of a relatable kind of like like religious experience where it's just this massive physical force with these unknowable motivations you know and certainly not something that you can really affect Right? It's just this force of nature that's messing up your life. Every season, they just move through your territories, and there's nothing you can do but watch helplessly. I think that leads to one of the real appeals of this is that like, there's something so intuitive about the scale in Mouse Guard. Um, it's incredibly compelling. When the Game Master describes something moving through the grass, the players stop, and they're like, oh... Oh, what's that? And then, you know, when when the snout of a snake appears through the tall grass, the players are into it. The players are like, oh, yo, we're going to get eaten. (laughs) (laughs) And when they overcome that, when they they defeat that snake, it's this like it's this great moment. And so I just think that I think David does a great job with this perspective. I think the way he inhabits the space and the way he the mice just aren't like humans shrunk down you know, with kind of human-sized problems, right? They're tiny creatures with giant problems. The one thing I learned doing research for this is that mice are uh, really are at the bottom of the food chain. Everything eats mice. <laughs> Every No, I mean everything. Like, think animals that we consider to be, to be herbivores eat mice. Deer eat mice. Squirrels eat mice. And even better is wolves eat mice. Right. So like Hmm. all the way up the the food chain, things that you think might be too big for them to eat a mouse, like it wouldn't (laughs) even be fulfilling for them are still eating. Right. Nobody, nobody cares that it's a mouse. They'll just eat delicious little snack. The wolf is like, oh, this is fun. Look at it's jumping around and running around and everything. And now it's going to be in my mouth and I'm going to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's like for a human having just one goldfish in front of you, like one goldfish cracker. It's like it's not going to fill you up. I'm still going to eat like a real goldfish. I'm like, I don't eat goldfish, Chris. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that would not be fun either. That'd probably taste gross. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just think that their lot in life is so fraught with peril. Uh, It's great. It's never easy, no matter how abundant their harvest, no matter how peaceful the politics are, uh, you know, of mouse life, they're always kind of teetering on the edge of disaster. The very forces of nature are arrayed against them, which is phenomenal and takes you all the way back to the cosmic horror of Call of Cthulhu, which is that that's the premise of cosmic horror is that the very forces of nature are against you. They like, it's not even that they don't care about you is that if they, if they should happen to turn their eye to you, they will obliterate you, right? You'll go mad with their attention and then, you know, and their mere thoughts will obliterate you. And that's, kind of what's happening in mouse guard even in the sense of like you said it doesn't even need to be them turning their eyes to you but you described like the a moose coming through your area that you're living in and just getting destroyed in the in the destruction of its wake like it might not even know that you're there and it's just like your place your your land your your home is obliterated yeah it's super cool uh and then right i mean just the weather is this like 
you know, the weather's something that's so easy to take for granted in an RPG. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, the wedding's just, the, the weather rather is just a backdrop to a cool fight scene or something. But it, when it rains hard in, in the mouse territories, it's serious business. A little pebble of hail that hits us. It hurts. A little oh pebble, you know, that we call little that hits a mouse. It's a dead mouse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, You're it's, it's a total difference. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, so, but it's not just a nature survival show. It's uh, like, so in addition to this kind of like very dangerous world that you live in, you have mouse problems, right? You, the, the mice have their own motivations and their, uh, their own desires and their, you know, their heroes and their villains you know, they're legends and they're trying to survive in the face of this, but also, you know, they're, they're trying to do more than survive. I love that the fact that David injects art and culture into the world. He, he builds a very, very rich tapestry, which provides context for the tragedy of their lives. Yeah, I love that in a classic game of fantasy role-playing, you go in with these characters and normally it's like this tier of what you fight. Like, oh, we'll fight orcs first. Uh, then maybe we'll work our way up to ogres. Then maybe we'll get some golems going on. And eventually it's like this, like, oh, maybe one day we'll fight dragons. But what I love about Mouse Guard and this idea of playing small heroes is that from the get-go, if you step out your door and you decide, I'm going to be an adventurer, I'm going to be a warrior, you are more brave than any of those classic warriors combined because they're everything you meet is like on that scale of dragon it's just like there's wolves like you said walking around even deer that will i had no idea deer eat mouse uh that's insane you'd think like oh like look a peaceful deer i'm okay but even if the deer didn't eat it it's like those hooves coming down are like i love what you described as that call of cthulhu-esque thing because everywhere is just so scary and so frightening and death is everywhere which to me makes it so much more powerful when a a mouse or a tiny creature decides i'm going to be an adventurer i'm going to be a hero that's that's bravery to the nth degree yeah and like this david's whole plotline of the this weasel war that's coming like you know being folded more and more into the stories is really interesting like you know that's the mice fighting one off an army of their natural predators mm-hmm. who are like three times their size <laughs> yeah it's great and they're they're kind of the ogres of the or orcs of the setting you know i, I scaled it but i didn't want to make it so overwhelming but it definitely when you meet a weasel they're they're not like a kobold or a goblin or you're like ah whatever you know when you meet a weasel in the 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 setting it's a dangerous encounter you know it's going to require the your whole patrol to make sure that you come out unscathed we've talked about the dangers we've talked about that there are heroes in mouse guard there are warriors they're 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 knights is what they are these mouse guard warriors and i mean what motivates a tiny little mouse a small creature to step out of his door and say, I'm going to be a warrior. I'm going to be a knight. I'm going to be part of the mouse guard. Like, why would you do that in this world filled with dangers? I mean, why does does anyone do it? I, I mean, D- David has really inculcated the setting with this idea of service, um, this kind of very noble impulse to serve the guard and to, to serve other mice. And David takes his inspiration from Jedi, in, from Star Wars, and the Rangers, hmm. from Lord of the Rings. You know, that's pretty much what you are as you're, a, you know, a Jedi Ranger. Um, you're Aragorn Skywalker, <laughs> but without the crazy magic powers. So, yeah, it's just this like, you know, the guard have this great reputation in the setting. And, the, you know, there's this kind of mythology around them. And, you know, mice step forward to serve. But, you know, there's a darker side to it, too. You can definitely play with the idea that organizations like this tend to be populated with outcasts and malcontents and criminals that make their way into these kind of outsider organizations that are essentially armed militias, right? Like there's, there's, it's really easy to turn the guard into something a little grimmer, a little darker, which I think is great. I think it's a great Mm -hmm. robustness to the setting that it can handle that stuff. I think one thing that I, I, you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier when you kind of, you know, jokingly said, why does, why does anybody you know, do what they do. Why does anybody go out? I think oftentimes what I, what I forget going into a game as an adventurer, what I forget about is our world is our, our physical world that we're in now is so big. It's massive, but yet we've created it to be so small because we're born when we were born. We didn't have to worry about like just venturing off into this next forest and not knowing if we as humans were going to get stepped on by big hooves. Like we didn't know what was out in these forests, right? <laughs> it very sure. could have, it very easily could have been a possibility for us when we journeyed to America. But for mice, that's a daily that's a daily thing 
in these yeah. games and in the in these books. Like it's kind of like when you know Lewis and Clark went off to explore the Pacific. They didn't know what was out there. That's what these adventurers are doing going out there. They have no idea. A river for them is like, you know, a lake that you can't see across. It's like coming up to Lake Michigan and not being able to see across it. A creek. Just on a scale down (laughs) A little creek. (laughs) Except for the fish there will eat you. Probably. They probably eat mice. They do. They totally (laughs) do. That's crazy. Frogs. Frogs eat mice. Yeah. That's nuts. (laughs) It's crazy. Though, admittedly, most of the things that I'm citing that eat mice uh, will generally only go after baby mice because Hmm. they're like a scrumptious snack or something. Uh, (laughs) But try telling that to a mouse like, oh, they'll only eat your babies. That's not going to help them anymore. (laughs) True enough. Like, oh, they'll only eat our babies. All right, whatever. (laughs) True enough. Yeah, this idea of like a big world just to me fascinates me. I mean, we have a lot of listeners who make their own homebrew worlds. Yeah, of course. And I think that this is just such an interesting concept because if you if you as a listener are making your homebrew world and you haven't like thought about like what are the tiniest sentient creatures that inhabit my world and what is their their world like what does the world to them look like the civilization of humans may have discovered every inch of this world but to like what chris was saying to a mouse warrior to a pixie to all these little creatures the world is big and unexplored and that's dangerous and that's scary and i mean you could have a whole campaign i'm sure that takes place in a backyard (laughs) of somebody's house and that's a big area that could be taken over by these little mouse warriors i mean it's it's also just a matter of good world building like if the world was so terrifying that there's no reason to step out of doors then that's not a good world right there yeah there have to be motivations there has to be a compelling and and kind of credible culture that has arisen from this right it's like you know we often don't act in our own best interests right we often Mm -hmm. don't do the you know what we might consider the reasonable or logical or rational thing but we do it anyway and you know so how do those contradictions exist in this world right how what does this world do to compensate for the kind of daily horrors around it and yeah i think david just does a good job of of giving them the mouse guard a code but also just letting you know letting the reader know that the world isn't completely in line with the mouse guard like in the first book you know one of their own is trying to take over and and trying to Mm -hmm. do what he thinks is right for the the mouse territories which is good that also it I like that storyline too because it reminds me of the Chris Muller comics, the uh, uh, the Iron Empire stuff that we based Burning Empires on, where right you have this like kind of cosmic threat breathing down your necks, but you're still squabbling and jockeying for position and trying to basically be the last one standing at the end of the world, which is so human to me, so so human, right? To see the tide rising, but to turn your attention and on, you know, who's going to get pushed out of the boat. Those kind of like multifarious motivations are, are so important for me to, to have a compelling game. There can't just be like one right path. Like, you know, you, <laughs> you, you get your sword and your cloak, you go out, you fight a squirrel and you're done. Like if that was, <laughs> if that was the whole game, you know, we could have made it a very different game. I think one thing about the the big world that I like, and I'm, you know, thinking of specific ideas is, the idea of, you know, we, we talked about wolves or deer or moose or whatever it is being this big thing. And, a, and a, a small creature, whether it's a mouse or something else, might come up to this cliff that we as humans see like, oh, we just have to prop ourselves up on. And instead, these mice have to be like, all right, we either have to go around. We don't know where this is going to end. We can't see the other side. Or they have to somehow figure out how to climb up this, sure. this thing. And I like that idea a lot of taking the the normal things that, you know, wolves take for granted being able to step up onto this ledge and to then change it into the mouse perspective. And I wonder if there's like that one mouse or this, you know, whatever small creature that's just always frustrated. Maybe it's an inventor or something like that. That's become so infuriated by these, these things that he sees other creatures doing that he creates some sort of flying machine that he can then not have to worry about climbing on the back of a duck, uh, which I just read in the black (laughs) ax book, you know, type thing like that. So you know, I, I like that idea of using the the big world and possibly taking those frustrations and using them to fuel ways to overcome them in a very small creature-esque way. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like in any good fiction, the, the limitations of the world breed the creativity and inventiveness of the characters. You know, Mousegard has these these very great, like very intuitive limitations. So it's easy to 
to build that kind of reaction into the world and, you know, ha and kind of give the world life. Like you can have everything from the guard being sent out to build a new bridge over a, a rivulet, you know, that has developed and, you know, is cutting through the territories or, or the guard having to go. This is one of my favorite adventures that I ran was get, having to go and negotiate with beavers so that they stop flooding, you know, huge swaths of the territory, right? The <laughs> beavers yeah. dam up this area and, and suddenly there's a pond and if there's a mouse settlement there, it's trouble. Yeah. Do beavers eat mice? Probably. Uh, <laughs> I think I don't think beavers would turn away a mouse snack. Uh, <laughs> I think beavers eat fish and stuff, but like, yeah, you're like, I just, I can't imagine they wouldn't. Negotiations go wrong for this dam and there's no leaving. You're just now a snack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they did in, in that adventure, they snuck into the, into their den underwater. And I think they took the beaver pups hostage or something but it was it, it like you know it was a dungeon crawl in mouse terms yeah. and but all you know a, a tough swim uh down to the you know to the underwater entrance and it was grim it was brutal that sounds fantastic that sounds like tomb of horrors for mice <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. i mean i definitely had them doing things that like a dnd character would be like no no yeah. way am i doing that you want me to swim underwater into the layer of a, like a monster that's 10 times as big as I am. <laughs> no. Crush me with his tail. Yeah. Just <laughs> part of the problem, part of the dam. <laughs> there's not enough. Oh, oh, there's a staff of the Magi in there. Great. You get it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> My life is more important than that. <laughs> so one of the things I also love about this whole idea of big world is that you can have a, a tree that normal sized people would walk past and there could be a whole settlement of mice warriors and just mice people inside of this this even smallish tree like we can have like settle entire settlements in areas and it just really expands it can you talk a little bit about just where mice these mice live where they make settlements all that kind of stuff the mice live in the mouse territories which they have kind of used some mouse science to defend from predators Right, they have a what they call a scent border that they create around the territories to drive away big predators like wolves. And that's you know their attempt to use science to protect themselves. But inside that the territories, so I mean, Lockhaven is just like a mouse castle. Like if you saw that, you'd be like, what the? Yeah, Barkstone is in a tree, kind of bowl of a tree. Copperwood, I believe, is actually wedged between two rocks uh, and you go down and there's like they have a little like copper mine or something in, in there port sumac is this cool like multi-level town that's you know on these rocks on the edge of the water kind of well they think it's a cliff but clearly it's not a cliff it's uh you know it's a hidden there and frostic is this you know just this little like mouse outpost on the water same thing with caligaro i, I love it because he definitely plays up on the hidden world aspect of it all that yeah if you weren't paying attention you might walk past these things and and not see them you know there's that mythical illusion that these that this could be happening in our world yeah um, which is nice it's a nice kind of fairy tale aspect to it all i think with mouse garden with the idea of small heroes in a big world there's this aspect that the mundane can become just extraordinary. Like in Mouse Guard, you have this fabled legendary weapon called the Black Axe, which to someone like me, a human, I would look at it and be like this tiny, tiny little thing. But to these mice, this is like one of the greatest weapons ever. Sure. Uh, it's this idea of like a, we talked about a, a creek becomes a, giant raging river a puddle is a lake a, a garden in the back of somebody's house is like a paradise i love this idea of just the mundane becomes extraordinary yeah yeah well i mean the black axe i don't know if, if that counts as mundane like you know a magical mouse axe is pretty magical yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but the whole idea behind the axe actually is that it's it, i don't think it's actually magical but that it's not necessarily the axe itself but it's who wields it and mm -hmm. you know that's why kelna's like really after you know finding the right person to succeed him you know someone who has the right spirit who's not going to abuse it and and kind of use this legend to create misery for uh the territories instead you know is going to stand up for justice and uh to fight oppression and things like that so which is cool which i think ties back into that like that it's and, and ties into the motto of the mouse guard or or maybe it's kenzie's motto but uh, you know 
it's not what you fight, but what you fight for. Hmm. It's all about the idea that these are little people thrust into these extraordinary circumstances and they're rising to the occasion, um, that they're not inherently uh, heroic, they're not chosen ones or, or anything like that. They're just, you know, people trying to do the best they can with what they've got. Yeah. So Luke, we just want to thank you once again for coming on today to talk about little heroes and big adventures. And so we, we thank you, first of all, for your love of the fans, whatever those are. Uh, we're not exactly sure what, what fans you're talking about or what we're talking about, but we want to thank you for caring about them enough to come on the show to talk sure. with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, little, little heroes. So if if people would like to get in contact with you or find more of your work, where can they where can they get a hold of you at? Oh, burningwheel.com. Real easy. We have a blog there where we occasionally post announcements about what we're working on. We have a store if somebody wants to buy what we're uh, what we're selling. We have a forum if anybody has questions about any of our games. It's a good place to go, burningwheel.com. Well, once again, we just thank you so much for coming on, Luke, uh, and we hope you have a great rest of of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we just want to thank Luke once again for coming on this show. I know he had to get going. He only had a certain amount of time that he could be with us today, but Mitch and I just had a few things that we wanted to finish up with for this idea of being little heroes going on these big and grand adventures. And so, Mitch, what what are some more thoughts that you had about this topic in in general? We talked a lot about mouse guards specifically, but if you're building this world, this homebrew world, there could be all these different types of little t- or even when it comes to D&D, tiny-sized creatures that you could have an amazing campaign with playing in a very small with small races tiny races in this ginormous world i mean i think of pixies i think of sprites you could have if if you don't want sentient mice in your world what about like mouse folk what about rabbit folk mm-hmm. and just animals that are the same kind of size as their not so intelligent counterparts that are running around as just regular animals? I just think there's there's so many different types and you can make ones for your own world. I just think that I, whole idea of making a all these tiny races and making a campaign based around it, it just leads to so many cool ideas for adventures in my mind. Well, I was thinking about one in general, and uh, I wanted to bring it up when Luke was on to see like what his thoughts would have been on it, see if maybe it would have made it into a future Moss Guard <laughs> game or comic right. or something like that. But I, I love that idea of having, you know, normally when we have a beast folk, like we have, I know you have rabbit folk in your world, but they're huge for, yeah. you know, the size of, of rabbits. And I have chameleon folk in my world who are huge for being chameleons. I wonder what it would look like if we were to take, for example, mice. And have them be the same size as what they were. And some human wizard or whatever comes along and realizes how powerful these people are. And so now you have our our world meeting with this other world with these small creatures who are intelligent enough to to create some sort of alliance where what are what are humans normally looking for? They're looking for other humans to infiltrate behind enemy lines, right? You're not expecting the small creature <laughs> to go in you know, a thousand small little mice that this wizard has had gone in and he's, they're sabotaging, you know, rope bridges and they're sabotaging this, that, and the other thing because they're not expecting these small little creatures to come in. So I wonder what it would look like for you to have maybe even a mercenary guild that is in your world that's just mice to do people's bidding. Well, yeah, they, they're they the perfect rogues, like mice folk, yeah. like these tiny little things. They, they're they the perfect rogues. They're the perfect spies. Like, I mean, they might be in your world t- completely secluded and stay away from, like, human settlements because and elf sell- settlements and all these because it might just seem super dangerous to them. But then again, you might have these brave mice that are, like, these mice folk that are going into towns and being like, no, hire me because... I I don't care what that rogue over there says. Like, I am clearly the better pick. Yeah. I'm going to be way better than him. Well, I just think about these all these small creatures that we see in our own world and how it's like how fast they are, One, first of all. Yeah. Like, I think of... Yeah, mice are quick. I th- well, and it's crazy how quickly they disappear. And you, you're looking at them, and then all of a sudden they move somewhere, and you have no idea where they went. Where'd They're they just go? gone, right? <laughs> they just have this ability to naturally disappear from before you. And I think that's something that we might not think about because we would try to put our own traits into these small little creatures. So that's something to think about as we're, as we're planning this world. They come up against a big foe. Well, they might be big and scary, but they have to keep sight with these small little creatures. So as hard as that encounter might be, they still have to keep their eyesight on them. You can rely on scent, but scent can only take you so far if you can't see this creature, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
That's a fantastic point because the world is huge and full of dangers, but the world is huge and also now full of many, many more hiding places. And you got to imagine, like, even for the bravest of the mouse guard and for tiny warriors, whatever race that you're playing with, you got to imagine, well, yeah, you you can be brave. You can, like, not be afraid to step up against a, a snake that, you know, you bring up a small snake in a D&D campaign with regular warriors and with humans, and it's like they're a minor annoyance because maybe they have poison. For a tiny mouse, like, this is scary. This is like a big beast. But now you have these tactics. I imagine that mice would use a lot of guerrilla warfare oh, yeah. like tactics. They're not like if they just run in and throw themselves into battle, like they're going to die like that. You read in the comic books and that's kind of their mentality. It's not that they're afraid, but they're like, no, we're not going to be idiots and just run in and like try and fight a snake or try to fight. We're, we're not going to run in and fight a wolf like that's like impossible. If we're going to do that, we need some crazy amazing plan to be able to get the upper hand take ewok ewok tactics from star wars and place them on mice or small creatures within your world i think that would be a perfect way to go about that you know there's the there's the element of the smallness that you can use because big things get overconfident when they see things it's the classic bully trope right why do why do big bullies Mm -hmm. pick on small kids because they know that they can defeat them well what happens when that that little kid who's being bullied rallies some friends around him and they you know they walk around the corner and say, Hey, come and get me big, bad guy. They run back around the corner and there's a hundred little kids surround, you know, a hundred little mice surrounding <laughs> this person or this weasel, weasel or whatever it is. And now they, yeah. you're going to win. Like they might take a few of you out, but you're going to win that. There's no way that being overrun by a ton of small creatures, this big creature is ever going to survive it. So I like that idea of guerrilla, guerrilla warfare tactics coming into play for small creatures. But that is sad too, like in the sense of, I feel like these, a lot of these tiny races would have to have this idea of if we're going to war, if we're going to battle, like it it has to be really, really for a powerful, powerful reason. Otherwise we're just going to run away because that sense of like, well, we can overpower them, but like while you're overpowering this big creature, they're going to be killing a bunch of the warriors that are like, even though you're overwhelming them, like, and to be like, Oh, we don't care about that. Like they would have to have a really powerful sense of what sacrifice is for and what, like what the purpose is of going into battle and why not just move away. And I feel like it, it puts a lot more importance to any sort of violence. Whereas you look at other creatures in, in a regular D and D campaign where they're medium size. And it's just like, well, I mean, how many D and D players out there, love battle because they just see it as like this is fun right (laughs) and like have created characters that think of that as well like we're gonna go into an arena because it's fun and i love battle like for these small creatures like battle is really a big high stakes thing and to lose people that you love in any sort of battle that's really hard yeah well and what happens too if in that scenario this big creature somehow escapes they're fast they're going to get away. What happens when they go and tell their friends who now they have a hundred weasels coming back to fight these 100 mice? Well, then you've just lost. It's like, then you have to figure out where are we going to resettle because we can't live here anymore. They know where we are now, you know? So there's that element of the, of the small creature too, that if they're not effective at what they're doing, it could be catastrophic for their whole settlement too. We talked a lot about dangers, but we missed like some dangers that I just think are so important to talk about too. We talked about weather and we talked about hail and we talked about rain, but like even snow. Buried, man. Yeah, when we have a snow day in Michigan and it's like, oh, there's only like two inches of snow in the ground. Like what a pathetic snow day. We go and play in it, right? We have fun in it. Yeah, we don't even we don't even play in two inches because it's like it's two inches. Yeah. Like who cares about two inches? But for a tiny creature in a giant world, like two inches is like, <laughs> I just picture like tiny mouse folk, Ned Stark, winter is yeah. coming. <laughs> and then if you get like, if you live in a place where there's three feet, four feet, it's like, you need what do you do during those times? You hope that you have a settlement that's in a tree and you can go higher and higher. You need to find elevated ground. And even with the, the extreme cold and stuff, like mice die from that kind of stuff. They need to 
bury themselves in holes. They need to protect themselves from the crazy amounts of elements. What about a tornado? It's instant death. You wouldn't even know it's coming. They get their kites out and go kiteboarding or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy mouse kiteboarding. Oh, man. Mouse NATO. Oh, gosh. That would suck. (laughs) I even thought about, we talked about the dangers of like a moose or a wolf and stuff. But if you're making this, if you're taking these ideas for your own homebrew world, uh, does your homebrew world have dragons? I kind of doubt that a dragon would actually care about eating a mouse. Probably not. But a dragon's going to be so scary because they might step on a mouse. If they ever decide to let loose their flame attack, mice aren't even going to know what the heck is going on. These tiny creatures aren't even going to know what's going well, on. Well, even even just forest fire in general, what happens? Because yeah. those things move super quickly. So if you're a small creature, oh my gosh, how are you going to yeah, outrun that? Bars. I didn't even think yeah. about that. It's... It's like imagine the entire world just it's it's a it's the apocalypse for a mouse if a forest fire it is the apocalypse there's you better keep running because and it's going to keep following you until you get out of there and a, a field fire that's for field mice that is so scary yeah. the thing that i like the most about being a little hero in this world is we touched a little bit on it at the end is it takes the mundane things that we think about as humans and it reinvents them in such a way that is just Mm -hmm. absolutely devastating. Like I, you know, when, when Luke talked about the snout of a snake coming through, I don't think Mm -hmm. of a gardener snake as terrified as I am of snakes. (laughs) I don't think of them as, Oh, this thing is going to kill me. Right. It's, it's not going to, you might be like, I don't want to go near that thing. I hate snakes, but you're not going to be like up on a chair, like screaming out of your mind. Well, I I still might be, but it's not going to eat me. Right. It's not, it's It's not going to eat me. So I, I love this idea of, of taking the things that we're normally not, we don't have to worry about them killing us. Right. And transforming them into such a way that, it becomes we're scared of a snake again you know we're scared of a of a badger again we're scared of whatever thing it is we're not scared of deer normally but now we're scared of deer right we're scared of these things romping through our field and causing all this devastation because it's because it's aligning we're 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 putting on ourselves things that we care about we're taking the care that we have for you know if my apartment building burned down i would i would be devastated of that it's taking that sort of care placing it on a small creature and then taking things that we're not normally scared of and destroying the things that we care about. It doesn't even have to be bigger than these tiny creatures. Like what if you have a, uh, if you're a mouse folk and one of your other mice friends has died in battle. And while you're in battle, all of a sudden all these ants decide that they're going to eat, eat him. (laughs) Then you're, you're fighting an army of ants like to, to us as normal people, it's like, oh, we just step on the ants. To them, it's like they could get over overtaken. A small bite is doing a lot more damage. Like the little things, too, that are even smaller, it's so dangerous. Yeah. It's so scary. And like you said, this idea of like the mundane becoming extraordinary. There's so many things you can do with that. I mean, a thimble becomes a helmet for a for a tiny creature, a a needle once again i'm thinking game of thrones the sword needle you could literally have a needle call it needle and have it be this really awesome piercing sword a toothpick becomes a sharp quarter staff like you can take little things that maybe somebody just dropped a human dropped and they become legendary pieces of equipment weapons like in for your tiny creatures i love that so much a tiny little ripped piece of cloth becomes a extraordinary cape it's amazing. And even with more animal stuff, like I think of a mouse settlement and I like to picture like that they've domesticated turtles yeah. and are using them like oxen to plow their tiny fields or that, you know, you think of a what's what was that recent George Lucas movie? There's so many of these movies like that <laughs> where you you explore the pixies and stuff in the woods, in the Feywilds. Yeah, and I love the idea of you're a sprite on the back of a hummingbird flying around or a sparrow like these tiny birds it was the one where they got shrunk down right like the girl got shrunk down from human size into i believe so yeah. but isn't that what happens in like every pixie pretty movie? much like, yeah a normal person gets shrunk yeah. down they fall in love like that's kind of that isn't that fern gully i don't yeah, remember it, it, I, <laughs> it pretty much is every single pixie movie i can think of and that's not very many yeah. but yeah, pretty much all of them are that way. <laughs> but as horrible, in my opinion, as those movies are, <laughs> like they are good examples of like you watch those and get tons of like ideas for 
how to make the mundane small creatures, tiny creatures, like into these mounts that are extraordinary. Like you, you get a, a, a chameleon mount. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so yeah. cool. Like, and then if you have a giant tortoise, you could have a whole city on their back. It's just all these great, like little mundane things that now you've just expanded. And if you're ever, hopefully you're not running out of ideas of like, I feel like I've explored every inch of my world because I feel like, well, you probably made a really small world in that case. But if you ever even feel close to that, you go, all right, how about the tiny small creatures in my world? What is their world like? Now you just opened up a door that's like endless to like the possibilities. Yeah. Well, and maybe it's maybe it's something that, you know, humans in your world don't know even exists. And so you just have this whole other civilization in your world, a whole nother economy, whole nother, you know, all of those things going on. Different kingdoms within the kingdoms that we as humans think are the only kingdoms that are around. You now have whole totally different wars going on for different purposes. They're a different person's war. We would never get involved with them. They would probably never get involved in ours. But yeah, that that idea of having them coexist with our own current ways that we think of kingdoms could be so much fun. You can do an evil, an evil tiny folk campaign where maybe the dragon doesn't care about eating them, but the dragon, being a smart, intelligent creature, has decided that these these pixies or these mice folk are a really good way to send them out as spies. Like we talked about, like I loved your idea of using them as like rogues and spies yeah. in a big world, a normal sized world. But like maybe the dragon decides, Hey, go and find places for me to ransack, find out what their defenses are, come back and let me know. And I just picture these, this awesome evil adventure where you're like a mouse and you're flying on like the back of an owl and you have like these two pixie warriors on your side and you're sneaking into towns and like finding out what their defenses are going back to the dragon dragon goes he ransacks the place he gets their gold he gets their treasure and you're just like you have the protection of this amazing yeah. giant dragon well, you, or, like, or so even cool. if you're you know you have human adventurers the flip side of that you go into the the dragon's lair and then swarm mm -hmm. of mouse or swarm of mice takes on a whole new meaning it's not just swarm yeah. <laughs> of rats that you can't, you know, attack. Really, you it, it it's it, now swarms of mice are no longer biting you; they're stabbing you with little needles, death by a thousand cuts yeah. type thing, you know. Yeah, or like you were talking about earlier, like maybe these mice are really inventive, and so they've they've figured out a system where they have a crank that can shoot a regular crossbow. And so you walk into a room and you just see these crossbows, but you're like, oh, nobody's nobody's manning them. They are. You just yeah, can't, you can't see them. See them. Yeah. The little mice are cranking it, and all of a sudden you're shot in the chest by 10 crossbows because they're the perfect alarm system. <laughs> well, you could even have it set up where they're so smart that they know how humans work, that you know the classic trope, you cut the wire the crossbow doesn't work anymore. The rogue on your party cuts the wire, walks through the door, thinks he's fine, and still gets hit with an arrow in the chest going off of your idea yeah. because the mice are, or the small creatures are the ones that are manning that that contraption. Yeah. Oh, man. my I really want to play a mouse folk now. They're the perfect <laughs> rogues. They're the perfect spies. I even thought they're the perfect assassins. Like, you send a mouse folk to go kill somebody they can sneak in they don't need open lock they just sneak in the little holes in the walls and all they need is a little tiny vial of like really powerful potion they crawl right up to you as you're sleeping they put it in your mouth game they've, over they've killed the king of the land that's that's an amazing story waiting to happen it's the idea yeah it's the idea of big creatures not expecting things from small creatures you just overlook them yeah. Whether you don't know about them or not, yeah. you just overlook them and they're your ultimate downfall. I like that idea so much of like the little creatures of the world that nobody thinks of are affecting the world. And like you could have historical moments where the king of this land was killed. And obviously this other land over here hates your land and they hate your king. So clearly they must have sent somebody to kill them. And maybe it has nothing to do with that. Maybe there was a little mouse folk assassin that was hired for whatever reason, who knows, but nobody ever found that out throughout history. Nobody knows. The only people that know are like maybe those, the people who that mouse folk is affiliated with and a whole war was started because of a tiny little mouse folk. I love or that Or secretly, the mouse folk or the small creatures are the ones that really rule the world. They're the Illuminati <laughs> exactly. of your yeah. world. They control everything. It's like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where the mice created the entire yeah, world. Right. There you go. <laughs> yeah, because they can sneak into places. They can do things. They can influence people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 
It's the perfect crime. Nobody would ever know. So that's what we have for you this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that this little episode it could inspire you to do great things with small characters. So we want to thank Luke once again. Go check his stuff out on the internet. Send him a Twitter shout out saying, hey, thanks for being on here. So if you have anything that you would like to share with us about what you heard in this episode, you can head on over to the Dungeon Master Block at gmail.com. We would love to hear your ideas, so send them over that way. You can also send us a five-star review on iTunes. You'll get a shout-out on a future episode. You can also find us now on Google Play Music. That just happened not too long ago, so find us on there, and you can also find us on Stitcher. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And we are also on Facebook. We have a Facebook page that you can follow us at. And if you do that, you will get updates about the show, D&D memes, and all-around D&D goodness. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Benjamin Dingman. So thank you very much, Benjamin. Benjamin is a gold dragon, so when you see him flying around the skies, that glint in your eye that's blinding you is probably him. So thank you so much for your support. We really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, and you got to join us on a Google Plus Hangout sometime. That would be awesome. Yes. So with that, we are going to close out this episode. We thank you so much for coming back again or for the first time to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the players at the table. Have a great night, everyone. Keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.